0: Good evening, everyone. Welcome back to a Wednesday night service. Man, it seems like it's been forever. About a year ago, we left off in the book of Ezra. (laughs) We're going to look at Ezra chapter 5 and 6 tonight. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Richard will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Ezra chapter 5 and 6 tonight. We need to be praying for Laura that she gets over this cold and cough and sore throat and all that stuff. And especially for Friday, you're supposed to lead worship, you and Dan, for the couple's dinner. So <laughs> sing for the couple's dinner. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together tonight. Lord, open up your word, knowing, Holy Spirit, that you are here to give us understanding of your word and to show us how to apply your word in our lives on an everyday basis. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the servants downstairs that are watching our, our children, that are teaching them your word. We pray your blessing upon them as well. Uh, Lord, uh, we do lift up Laura to you and pray, Father, that you would touch her physically, that you would heal just her uh, her voice, her, her cold, uh, just touch her, we pray. Father, I also want to lift up Tricia Shetzel to you, Lord. Uh, just found out today, Lord, that she has breast cancer. And, and Father, just want to lift up her, Lord. Uh, pray that you would touch her, that you would heal her, Lord God. And uh, Father, I'm thinking of Paul here, who, who went in on Sunday thinking he may have a heart attack. Lord, thank you that it wasn't a heart attack. And, and thank you for your hand upon his life. Oh, Lord God. And, and just thank you, Lord, uh, just for uh, the work you're doing in this church. And we just pray uh, for good health for all our, our brothers and sisters here, Lord. And Lord, just bless this time together as we dig into your word again. Uh, just uh, anoint our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been quite a few weeks since we left off our studies in Ezra. So let's get a little bit of, of a recap. The children of Israel, they're taken into captivity were there for sin I will, because of their sin of rebellion, their sin of idolatry, try to mix serving the Lord and idolatry together, and it just doesn't mix. Isaiah prophesied in isaiah forty five one through six at the end of these seventy years, there would be a man that would come on the scene by the name of Cyrus who would uh, say hey let's let's let the captives go, let's rebuild jerusalem, let's rebuild the temple there." And at the end of 70 years, that's exactly what happened. God called out Cyrus by name 170 years before he was even born. Now, when Cyrus found out about that, he obviously was blown away. He's seeing his name in, in, in scriptures, and, and he's going, whoa, <laughs> oh, okay, let, Then let, let, let them go, let them go. And he, he, he uh, released them. He gave them all the, all the stolen temple treasuries. Gave it to them and, and, uh, this is gonna bother me all right. Let's see. Testing one, two, three. We'll try this one more time. If not, we're switching to the other mic. Um, where where's he at? So he gave, other, when, when, uh, Jerusalem was, was, uh, taken into captivity, they took all the temple treasuries, all the gold and the, all the, the sacred items there. And, and uh, so when they're going back, Cyrus is here, take all the stuff back with you. Um, on, on top of all that, he ordered his Jewish neighbors to help them finance the trip back to uh, Jerusalem. See, when, when God is into accomplishing his will, nothing is going to stop it. And that's what we see tonight. As we hear here is all about these 50,000 Jews who returned to Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple. In chapter 2, we looked at a, a list of the names of those who returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel. And as they returned to rebuild the ruins, it's really a, a picture for them and for us of how God is, is in a business of rebuilding ruined spiritual lives. God's good at that. Lives that are ruined by sin, God restores and God rebuilds. Verse 1 of chapter 3 said this, And when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Now, really was a theme in chapter 3. Unity, gathering all together. We're one. We're going we're gonna to work this out. Getting along with each other. I well, always we shared before the man who was rescued after 10 years of being on a deserted island, and the rescuers are looking around and asking the man, How come he has three huts? He says, well, that's the hut I live in, that's the, hut I, the the church I go to. He says, what's the other hut? That, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> I mean, some people can't get along even with themselves. But if you really want to accomplish great things for the Lord, then it takes unity in the church, it takes being on the same page, catching the same vision that God has for us. The people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Now, we know whenever the Lord is moving, there's a great work about to be done, that the enemy is right there to try and stop it and try and discourage us. And that's what happened in chapter 4. The enemies tried to interrupt the work that was going on, stop the work, and they did that in a number of ways. First, they tried to infiltrate their ranks by offering to partner with them to build hey, let us come along and and we'll help you, you know, it would have ended up in compromise. Well, when that offer was flatly rejected, they moved to plan B, which was to discourage them, to frighten them, to divide them. And the second plan slowed them down a bit, but not stopping it entirely. So they turned to plan C, a third attempt to shut down the project altogether, and they basically wrote some false accusation, part, partial lies. They wrote a letter to the current king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and told him that the Jews were rebuilding the city. They wrote in the letter that since the Jews had in the past rebelled against kings and, 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 and the reason, well, no doubt they would do it again. They accused the Jews of refusing to pay taxes and taking the territory away from the kingdom of Persia. Now, unfortunately, that plan was successful the king issued this immediate cease and desist order causing all work on the temple to halt. That they would not start up again until the second year of the reign of of Darius, which is where we pick it up tonight. See, the enemies of Judah and Benjamin had had the the law on their side. They stopped the work militarily by force of arms. But get this, the work of rebuilding this temple, uh, there was a pause for 16 years. Which tells me that other attacks I mean, compromise, discouragement, fear, division, all combined into this halting of this project and not starting again until chapter 5 tonight. And we're told, really, that there are two men responsible for getting this work going again. Sixteen years later, Haggai and Zechariah hears from the Lord. You can call them the dynamic duo. We know that Haggai prophesied to the people the words of the Lord in Haggai chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It said this, Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? In other words, why are you spending so much time in the comforts of your own home and your own houses and you're leaving the Lord's house in ruins? Now come on, get up, get going, get back to serving the Lord. Folks, we have to understand that our enemy is is working full time to to stop the work of God. He doesn't want the the temple of God to be built in your life. He doesn't want the church to be built in our lives together. We need to recognize his attacks. And he'll try to infiltrate our ranks. He'll try to to cause us to compromise our walks with the Lord. He'll try to discourage us, to, to frighten us, to divide us. Or he'll just plain falsely accuse us and cause us to just want to give up. The last thing he'll try to do is to get us so comfortable, we won't want to do anything. You know, as the saying goes, Satan is never too busy to rock the cradle of a sleeping Christian. The Jews had grown comfortable. They lived in these panel houses. They were pursuing the American dream in the Middle Eastern style. <laughs> Faced with all the other adversaries, they gave in to them and pursued their own comfort. Call it materialism, call it worldliness, the bottom line, we too can get to a point where we don't want to sacrifice our comfort to, to make spiritual progress. That's an, an, an adversary we all face. We get comfortable in our walk with the Lord, in our church, in, in work, and we're no longer, no longer allowing God to do that work of building us and growing us. No longer taking steps of faith and ministry. Well, I, I don't know about this. Maybe, maybe I'm going to try and take this step of faith. And so we go, oh, well, you know, I'm just kind of comfortable where I'm at. But you see, when the enemy of God manages to put a stop to the work of God, there must be a way to get it started again. If a Christian is knocked down, there must be a way to get him back up on his feet. If a marriage is split apart, there has to be a way to bring it back together. And if we can learn from Scriptures how from scriptures how this is done, the devil would have significantly fewer victories in the church, in Christians' lives, in, in the Christian marriages and ministries. Let's see how this works. Look now at how it's done as we read verses 1 and 2 of Ezra 5. Then the prophet Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophets prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who was over them. So Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josedach, rose up and began to build the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, helping them. Here, through these two prophets, basically the Lord says, it's time to wake up, it's time to get moving again. You need to do this. Zechariah would say concerning this with the words from the Lord, our verse for the year, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's the solution. That, that's the way to get the sleeping Christian moving again. We're supposed to be building, we're supposed to be expanding the kingdom externally, but, but also to be, be being built up internally. And the Lord would say the same thing to us. Wake up, it's time to get moving again. Not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. You can't do it on your own strength. You can't do it on your own power, your own might. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in our lives. Listen, everything written in the Old Testament, it's for our learning. And these particular books, you know, Ezra, Nehemiah, Haggai, Zechariah, we're learning about building with God. Now, we're not building a stone and mortar structure like the temple of Jerusalem was, whether we're building a temple using living stones and the mortar of love one for another. Peter tells us in 1 Peter two five, You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. See, if we are living stones, being fit together for eternal temple in heaven, and this life we're living in, This is the quarry. It probably explains why so often we may feel like we're being chipped at and chiseled away all the time. Or maybe why you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. And we may feel at times that we just rub each other wrong. But you know why? It's because we're living stones that constantly rub against each other. And along the way, we we knock off the, the rough edges from each other. Listen, God puts us right next to the very people He knows will smooth us down so we can build us into a temple of His glory. Sometimes it can be our spouses, our bosses, our our customers. God, God will bring people into our lives and put fixes into our lives to fix us, to mold us and to make us into the people that He wants us to be. He puts us with people and in situations that He knows will shape us the most effectively so He can work on our lives. But if we try to avoid them or try to fix the fix that God put me in, He'll be faithful to put me in another fix to fix the fix He wanted to fix in the first place. And if we don't learn this, then we're going to go from fix to fix to fix to fix until we finally say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to try to fix this myself. I'm not going to try and wiggle out of this. I, I'm going to brace it, accept it where you have me because I know you're doing a work in me and you're shaping me for eternity. I don't know if you remember down here on the Lone Pine and Battlefield when they built the CVS store right there. I think they chipped away at that rock for over a year. They had these big, you know, the the chipper, that bum, 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 bum. And you could hear it. We live over on the east side. You could hear it, you know, like a mile away, them chipping and chipping and chipping. I think it took a a year for them to do that. And then they built the store. I tell you, that store's not going anywhere. That foundation, it's just on, on solid rock. And in the same way, as as we're chipped at and chipped at and chipped at God is causing you to have that foundation that is strong, able to stand against the attacks that come on the outside. And they do come, but you can stand strong in the midst of them. And that's what's happening next with the Jews. Look now at verse 3. At the same time, Tataneah, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bonsnai, and their companions came to them and spoke thus to them. Who has commanded you to build this temple and finish this wall? Now this Tatanei was the governor of the province of the Persian Empire that spanned west of the Euphrates River from the left half of modern-day Iraq all the way to the Mediterranean Sea on the shores of Israel. He was the highest-ranking official in this area. As well as Shethar, call him Banzai, okay, Banzai, was another local official in the Persian government. So the work. And started up again and as soon as it does, this enemy comes in and, and trying to accuse them and trying to get them to stop and say, who said you could do this work? So they answer, in verse 4, Then accordingly we told them the names of the men who were constructing this building. Now at this point, Tatanai as governor, under normal circumstances, could have issued a, a cease and desist order until he could find out From the king, you know, why? who would authorize this work. But for some strange reason, he doesn't do that. Now we know the strange reason. Why? Because the Bible actually gives us a behind-the-scenes look as to what was going on. Look at verse 5. Here's the reason. But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews, so that they could not make them cease till the report could go to Darius. I love that. He couldn't make them stop. Why? Because God was in control. God had this under his plan. You know we're we're given the same promises and solution in Scripture. Psalm thirty three eighteen says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in mercy. We're told in Second Chronicles sixteen nine, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. So to someone with a, a loyal heart, someone who fears the Lord and, and hopes in His mercy, God is watching out for you. God's going to take care of you. You know, there are just things that the Lord does that, that wouldn't, under normal circumstances, happen. I mean, how many times do you hear, I don't know how this happened. I mean, it, it has to be God. Things don't happen that way. And I look at my son Matthew and over there in in the military and and the different doors and things that have opened and shut for him and I just tell him every time, I man, it's God. God's doing it because Matthew, there's no way you could do this. And it's true. You know, as Christians, we don't believe in coincidences because things that wouldn't normally happen do happen all the time. Things that we might write off as coincidences take place. Things miraculously work out. When you're about the Lord's business, the Lord makes your business His business. I think of Moses, the story of Moses, you know, the baby Moses floating down the river by Pharaoh's house where his daughter was bathing. The world would say it was just coincidence. Again, there's no coincidences to the child of God. The Lord's in control. There's no chances. God isn't going to turn to you or your children over to chance. There are those that well, Pharaoh's daughter just happened to be out there in the river bathing when Moses' little basket happened to float by, and and just by chance at the very moment that you know, Moses just let out this cry at the very moment, and then at the very moment, you know, she happened to see them. And uh, but you see how God's plan works out. Again with Moses, he you know he got the this cry got the attention of Pharaoh's daughter. She saw the baby. She fell in love with the baby. I mean, what woman doesn't fall in love with little babies? You know and the Pharaoh's daughter picked up little Moses and took him right inside the house of the very man who wanted him dead. That's how God works. Now the world would say, well, that's all coincidences. we say, no. The eyes of the Lord were, was upon this situation. You know, it takes a lot of faith to keep trusting God when it looks like things are going in the opposite direction. It takes a lot of faith to raise your kids God's way in today's world, but know and understand that God's eyes are on us. you got to believe that the eye of the Lord is upon you and your kids. So we read in verse 5 that because the Lord was watching out for them, there was nothing that Tetanai or Banzai could do. It says that they could not make them cease till a report could go to Darius. They, they couldn't make them stop. So then a written answer was returned concerning the matter. Look now at verses 6 to 10. This is a copy of the letter that Tatanei sent, the governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bansnei, and the companions of Persians who were in the region beyond the river, to Darius the king. They sent a letter to him, in which was written thus, To Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known to the king that we went into the province of Judea, to the temple of the great God, which is being built with heavy stones, and timber is being laid in the walls, and this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke thus to them, Who commanded you to build this temple and to finish these walls? We also asked them their names to inform you that we might write the names of the men who were chief among them. I mean, doesn't this sound like a whole bunch of little tattletales? childish? Hey, we, we went to Judea, and guess what? They're building again. They're building again, and, 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 and they're using big stones and big big timber. So we asked them, Who said you could do this? And, and we took names. We're telling It's interesting, though, that they refer to the temple in verse 8 as the temple of the great God. It appears even in the Persian Empire, even though they had many gods, they recognized that the Jews served the highest and the most powerful one. I also like that it says in verse 8, that, and this work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Why is it prospering in their hands? Again, the eye of God was upon them and they were working diligently. That uh, work diligently means eagerly, thoroughly, and with great care. That's being in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing. The eyes of the Lord were upon them. They served the Lord eagerly, diligently, throughout thoroughly, and with great care. You know what that should be our hearts as well. It's really a bummer when you see the work of the Lord done that the work of the Lord done halfway. You know, or, or, instead of serving the Lord joyfully and eagerly and, and diligently with great care, it's, it's reluctantly, it's, it's slothfully, oh, I gotta go serve the Lord today, I don't wanna do this. Shouldn't be that way. God deserves our very, very best, not our leftovers. In fact, He tells us in Numbers chapter 18 verse 29, when it came to the law of offerings, it says, out of all your gifts, you shall present every offering due to the Lord, From all the best of them. The best of the flock was to be given to God. How does God feel when we don't take care to be thorough or eager or diligent when we don't give Him our very best? I think about in the book of Malachi, God was not happy with people because, with the people there because they were bringing God their leftovers. So the Lord said to them in Malachi 1 8, And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, said the Lord of hosts? God, God is pointing out that, that he deserves better than what we would give to, to the governor. And I think if our governor or our president asked you to build his house, you'd be really careful. You'd be diligent. You'd be eager. If he asked you to watch his kid, you know, you'd be, do the best job humanly possible. If he made an appointment to see you, you'd make sure you were there on time. See, he's saying, if you would do all this for the governor or president, how much you should be eager and diligent to take with great care the things of God and the things that God has entrusted to us. It should really convict our hearts when we don't give God our best. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, it says in verse 10 that these adversaries asked for the names of the leaders, the chief among them, and I love that they gave them more than just their names. They gave them a complete description of what was going on. Look now at verses 11 through 16. And thus they returned us an answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and completed. But because our fathers provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and carried the people away to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to build this house of God. Also the gold and the silver articles of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, that was in Jerusalem and carried into the temple of Babylon, those King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon, and they were given to the one named Shezbazar, who he had made governor. And he said to them, take these articles, go, carry them to the temple site that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its former site. Then the same Shesbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. But from that time, even until now, it has been under construction and is not finished. By whose authority do you build the temple, they asked. Well, we're God's servants, and in addition to that, we have the command of Cyrus to rebuild this temple, the elders of Israel answered. Now, they were completely honest with what's going on. They did admit to their failures. They said, yeah, sure, the reason that we're in this place in the first place is because uh, we provoked our Father to wrath through our disobedience. Yeah, we messed up. Yeah, because of our sin, we were carried away into captivity. But rather than give up on us, God allowed us to come back to the land and to rebuild His temple. They recognized their failure but they also recognize that their God, their, their God, great God who has the ability to take failures and turn them around into great victories. And they realize that God doesn't hold their past failures against them. I think that's great to know. That God doesn't hold our past failures against us. Every time you begin new again with God, He's canceled it out. He doesn't hold it over our heads and, and He's not going to remind you of it. Remember, you know, five years ago when you really blew it, when you failed and, and last week and... You know, he doesn't do that. He won't remind you of it or broadcast it as hard as he gets you up and moving again and back to that place of youthfulness. Now, meanwhile, back in verse 17, Tetanei and Shethar Bansnei convinced that Cyrus never made a decree to restore and rebuild, but they couldn't just sign into the internet and look for proof, so they challenged the king himself, you need to go look and see what's going on. Well, look at verse 17. Now, therefore, if it seems good to the king Let a search be made in the king's treasure house which is there in Babylon whether it is so that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to build this house of God in Jerusalem and that the king send us his pleasure concerning his matter. No. I'm sure they were not expecting what what they found. (laughs) Look at verses 1-5 through of chapter 6. Then King Darius issued a decree and a search was made in the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. And at... Akmetha, in the palace that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found, and in it a record was written thus. In the first year of King Cyrus, King Cyrus issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where they offered sacrifices, and let the foundations of it be firmly laid, its height 60 cubits, and its width 60 cubits, with three rows of heavy stones and one row of new timber. Let the expenses be paid from the king's treasury, Also let the gold and the silver articles of the house of God which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple which is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon be restored and taken back to the temple which is in Jerusalem each to its place and deposit them in the house of God. (laughs) Surprise, surprise, surprise. That's not what Tatanei and Bosniai were expecting. But it doesn't stop there. Look look at verses 6 and 7. Now therefore, Tatanei, governor of the region beyond the river, and Shethar Bosniai, and your companions, the Persians who are beyond the river, keep yourselves far from there. Let the work of this house of God alone, let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God on its site. On the basis of the scroll that was found, King Darius issued a decree that the work was going to continue, and that the enemies of God, they needed to be far from there. I, I think in the same way where, where uh, Jesus battled Satan in the desert on the basis of the Word of God. Jesus said, away with you, Satan. And how do we overcome the condemnation and attacks of the enemy is, is, is to get back to the Word of God. Here Darius says to Tetanai and Bosnia, leave them alone. You know, I, I read this and I think of what Paul said. What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? No what what's going on in our lives. If God is for us, it doesn't matter what the enemy throws at us. And remember, why is that? Well, verse 5 of chapter 5 said, But the eye of their God was upon the elders of the Jews. The eyes of the Lord were upon them, and they were serving the Lord eagerly, diligently, thoroughly, with great care and Tantanai and Bansani were told to get lost. <laughs> now, I love that that would have been just fine. Just leave them alone, let them finish the work. But then King Darius, he doesn't stop there. He takes it one more step, and he issues this decree. Look at verses 8 through 10. Moreover, I issue a decree as to what you shall do for the elders of these Jews, for the building of this house of God. Let the cost be paid at the king's expense from the taxes on the region beyond the river. This is to be given immediately to these men, so that they are not hindered whatever they need, young bulls, rams, lambs for the burnt offerings of God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil according to the request of the priests who are in Jerusalem, let it be given them day by day without fail that they may offer sacrifices of sweet aroma to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. <laughs> I love the way the Lord works here. David's replies, Dear Tetanai and Bosniai, keep away from there. Let the work alone. Not only that, I'm going to support their work and I'm going to finance it with the tax dollars from your district. I'm going to give them whatever they need to buy, to build, and even to sacrifice. You can almost hear this guy kind of, oh, oh, what do we get ourselves into? Then he says in verses 11 and 12, Also, I issue a decree that whoever alters this edict, let a timber be pulled from his house and erected, and let him be hanged on it, and let his house be made a refuge because of it, And may the God who causes his name to dwell there destroy any king or people who put their hand to alter it or to destroy this house of God which is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, issue a decree. Let it be done diligently. My decree. Leave the Jews alone. Finance their project. And I'm going to throw in one more thing for good measure. If you so much as even try to stop this problem, I mean this building, we're going to tear down your house and we're going to hang you from the timbers that go with their house. I, I love that. Man, if I were Tetanea and Bosnia, I, I would be out of there retreating like a dog with a tail between my legs. But think about the reaction from the Jews with a message like that. I mean, if you were a Jew, this kind of talk would be reminded that no foreign power ever, ever could overthrow you, you, you while you're walking in obedience to God. I love that even though the Jews had fallen to Babylon, given into the hands of the Persians because of their own sin against God, God restores them, God protects them, and gives them whatever they need, and and they get great victory. You know, the same thing is true for us. We fail, and we can fall at times, and we may fall asleep spiritually and uh, and not get the work that God has called us to do. But as we wake up, as we get back up on our feet... And we trust in the power of God and nothing can stop us. God has given us great victory. He's provided for us abundantly spiritual blessings. But we must believe and appropriate them through dedicating or rededicating ourselves to God and start that work again. It's then that when we are committed to the Lord and do His work, as Isaiah fifty-four seventeen says, no weapon formed against you can prosper. Well, after a message like that from Darius, we read in verse 13, Then Tatanai, governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar Bosniai and their companion diligently did according to what King Darius had said. I bet they did. Amazing what you do when death is on the line. Verse 14 through 16. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo, and they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. At a, 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 a building dedication service, verse 17, and they offered sacrifices at the dedication of the house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, And as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the 12 of the tribes of Israel. Notice it doesn't say according to the couple of tribes and then the lost tribes. There's no lost tribes. All 12 tribes are represented at the dedication of the temple. It says that the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication. And, verse 16, and they sacrificed in verse 17, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. See, there are those who say, well, the tribes of Benjamin and Judah were the only ones left after captivity. The other ten tribes disappeared, or, or worse yet, maybe you've heard this, they ended up in Great Britain, and a few of them in, uh, came to America on the Mayflower. And, and or, or they say that those from the tribe of Dan ended up in Denmark, and they speak Dan- Danish, and Chuck Smith would say, that's foolish, you know. The record is here, none of those tribes are lost. Finally, verse 18, they assigned the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their divisions over the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. So everybody had a role in the building dedication. Verse 19 through 22, and the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the 14th day of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves, all of them were ritually clean. And they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord made them joyful and turned their heart of the king of Assyria towards them to strengthen their hand in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel." I want to point out a couple of things here before we close. It was only those in verse 21 who separated themselves from the impurity of the nations that were allowed to eat of the Passover. In order to, to, to participate in the Passover, they needed to repent of their sin prior to it. Even, you know, the leaven, uh, the, the even the leaven, the symbol of sin, was to be removed from the house completely. Now, if Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of of the Passover, then we must understand that it's because of our sin that Christ died. And when we turn to Him, we must turn away from our sin. We must, uh, you know, walk in repentance. First Thessalonians 4-7, we're told, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. See, sin separates us from God, and it separates from one another. That's why we're called to walk in holiness. But, but walking in holiness is not meant to be a bummer. It's not meant to be boring. I think sometimes we think, well, a life of holiness is a boring life, somewhere there's no joy whatsoever, but it's quite the opposite. And that's what we see here And our last point before we close. Yes, we're called to live holy lives, but we're also called to live lives of joy. When the Jews celebrated here, they celebrated with incredible joy. Verse 16 says, they celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. Verse 22, they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. And it says in verse 20 that the Lord made them joyful. Now I think Christians have the reputation of of, of being dull and boring and, and we well, don't know how to have any fun. In fact, I've met many believers over the years that really seem to not have much fun at all. And maybe it's because, uh, you know, the way they depict Jesus in the movies as a somber individual who never laughed or joked around like some sort of you know, zombie walking around. But think about this. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Scripture Scriptures reveal to us a Savior that loved to have fun. I mean, you're walking around with the 12 guys. Uh, I mean, you're going to have fun, full of joy. And, and listen, because Jesus was completely filled with the Holy Spirit, what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Joy. So Jesus was overflowing with supernatural joy. I mean, you can see it in many of his parables and sayings. I like, I even like some of the sarcasm that Jesus used towards the scribes and the Pharisees. And we need to understand also that Jesus was Jewish, and if anything, the Jews knew how to have a good time. Man, they sang, they celebrated. I think of the, you know, fiddler on the roof, Reptaria, you know. Tradition, you know, they're having a good time. The Jews rebuilding the temple, they worked hard, man, but they played even harder. They were dedicated to the work, but you see them celebrating at the dedication of the building, realizing what God has done. You know, they, they took the debt out of dedication. And our belief, as believers, our goal isn't simply to cut loose of all the restraint to have more of what the world calls fun, but it's to recognize that this Christian life is or ought to be a life that is anything but dull and boring. That it's more than okay to celebrate. It's more than okay to have a good time. And the joy is given to us from the Lord. What the Lord has done. The Lord has done in our lives. This temple is now rebuilt and dedicated. Passover was celebrated. The priests and the Levites were placed in a proper position. And again in verse 22, that the Lord made them joyful. Unbelievable joy. Same thing true for us. We've been born again. We're dedicated to the Lord. We celebrate what Jesus has done for us. The Passover lamb, lamb taken away our sins. At the very least, we should have the joy of the Lord just flowing from our lives. Unbelievable joy. The Lord has made us joyful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in our lives because, Lord, you make us joyful. Yeah, there's a tactic that's come, Lord, and the enemy wants to get us discouraged and wants to get us sidetracked and wants to get us to give up, Lord, but greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against us can prosper. Lord, our job is just to diligently obey and do that which you've called us to do. Your eyes will be upon us. Lord, thank you for this time this evening. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand up. I told my kids I was going to do this. Since Lord doesn't have a voice, here we go. In light of